Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're going back into philosophy. Now, I had originally planned to do an episode on um, Dostoevsky, uh, and I'm still going to do that episode, but I'm going to push that back to next time because he's one that I could either handle in a philosophy part or in the literature part, and I think I'm just going to do both at once in the next episode. So in the next episode, we'll be talking about Dostoevsky and his contributions to both philosophy and to literature. Uh, today, I want to go into a little bit of a kind of a background episode, I guess you could say, because as we move into the 20th century, from the you know 19th century into the 20th century, philosophy in the West splits into three main camps. And for the philosophers we talk about in the 20th century, we're going to be talking about them, uh, some from each of the main camps of philosophy. Uh, there's a lot of, uh, I guess you'd call it bickering back and forth between these three main camps. A lot of times the people from one of the camps would always try to just dismiss people from the other two. Uh, I actually think that they all do very important things. Uh, but they have a different focus. They look in a different direction. Uh, all three of them have definitely influenced uh, the philosophies that I have uh, because they really do sort of hone in on completely different questions. Uh, where do you to have a department that accurate, or that I should say adequately covered philosophy? You would actually have to have three departments. You could have a whole department with each one of these. And the three branches uh, are analytical philosophy, continental philosophy, and pragmatism. Now, most of the time, uh, schools are going to fall into either the analytical or the continental, and that's what their main focus is going to be. And it depends on the focus of the school. so I want to go in and talk a little bit about what each of those schools are and what their focus uh, is. In the analytic school of philosophy, you have mostly American and British philosophers, but you do have some Germans uh, and some other philosophers as well. But the analytic philosophers tended to focus on logic. They wanted to, uh, one, establish mathematics as a branch of logic, and two, solve all philosophical problems through the use of logic. And so a lot of what they do is focused on accuracy of vocabulary, accuracy of description. They feel that anything you cannot accurately describe, you have no business discussing in philosophy. Uh, Wittgenstein is a is a large uh, member of this group. Bertrand Russell uh, is another member of this group. A.J. Ayer is another member. Uh, Frege is another member. Um, and they did um, hold a lot of influence. Um, they did have a lot of influence and still do have a lot of influence. There are still philosophy uh, divisions in colleges that are largely focused on the analytical. Uh, Issues like existence of afterlife, existence of God, what is the meaning of life, what is the meaning of being, these are are things to the analytic philosophers that are what they considered nonsense questions. 
Um, there are questions that we can have no way of knowing anything about, and so there's no way of really in their minds, there's no reason to even discuss them. They should just be dismissed out of hand. And this is part of the reason that they come into conflict with the other uh, groups of philosophers and the other groups come in conflict with them is because their focus is completely different. You know, one of the things that is a driving force for them is they want to be much more scientific. They want to create a scientific philosophy that focuses on clear arguments. They want to focus on arguments that can be proven through logic, arguments that cannot be doubted. And now, knowing what, you know, some of the things we've talked about before in earlier uh, discussions, you know that this is something that is pretty much going to be impossible to do because you're going to run into eventually some kind of roadblock that's going to stop you. Um, but they were hoping through the use of logic and through the use of better vocabulary and clearer vocabulary that they would be able to eliminate a lot of the problems of philosophy. They felt a lot of the problems of philosophy were problems of people not being clear or using language or logic that was not clear. Now this school of philosophy, as you can probably imagine, is very influential and very much kind of a part of linguistics as well. So linguistics owes a lot of its origins to analytic philosophy. Yes, there were linguists before, but uh, the analytic philosophers, but the field is greatly influenced by them. You know, one of the things that some of the linguists at least wanted to do was to try to come up with more precise language. Um, they felt a lot of our problems were problems of miscommunication. And if we had a more precise language and I had a more, more precise use of that language, that a lot of these problems could go away. And you can definitely see where they would get this idea. Because if you look at, you know, look at the world, 99% of the time when people disagree, it's because they have a disagreement on the way they mean things. A person might say something with one meaning in mind and somebody else hears it and they get a different meaning in mind. And this is part of the imprecision in language. And this is one of the um, the things that the post-structuralists really pick up on. So the analytic philosophers are very influential to the structural uh, literary theorists and the post-structuralists. Uh, the post-structuralists are trying to really use language and look at language as a way of analyzing and being more precise and the post-structuralists kind of have decided language is is too uh, shifting it, it has too many meanings uh, no no two people will see the same word the same way even if they live in the same time period and for the post-structuralists they even realize that the the context around the word your life context the other words around that word are also going to change how you perceive that word so the way you might see a word when you're in your 20s you may have a different perception of that in your 40s or your 60s or your 80s but the analytic philosophers are really influential and they're really striving for this and we have we did they did make large gains in logic. They did make large gains in how to try to find better arguments than others. You know, they don't come to the point where they say every argument is good as everyone else, every other argument. 
um, they do really believe that there is a hierarchy and that there are, for the early ones especially, they believe they could find the absolute uh, bulletproof argument that cannot be refuted. So a lot of their focus is on clarity, a lot of it is on language, and a lot of it is on logic. Now the next group I want to talk about are the continental philosophers. And the continental philosophers kind of get that name because they're more of the philosophers from the continent in Europe. They're more Germans and French um, than they are, and some Spanish, than they are um, English and American. The continental philosophers are kind of building off of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, building off of Edmund Husserl, who we will talk about, who, you know, founds uh, phenomenology. Uh, most of the start people who start in phenomenology end up going on to become um, uh, members of what, what are called, classified as existentialist. So Martin Heidegger uh, starts out as a student of Husserl. Um, Heidegger is considered one of the founders of existentialism. Uh, same thing with Sartre and some of the other ones. They start out with phenomenology and they move into existentialism. So what does this all mean? I know I've thrown a lot of big words at you and I'm going to slow down for a minute. Phenomenology was the desire to make our perceptions more scientific. Um, they knew that everything we perceived and everything we saw experienced was filtered through lots of lenses, the lenses of our perceptional apparatus, but also the lenses of our culture, of our personal history, of, you know, our language. And so they wanted to try to establish philosophy, a philosophy that would give a grounding uh, and an interconnection with objects themselves, you know, stripping away all of that. Now, existentialism kind of builds off of this. The existentialists are people who um, are, as the name implies, they're looking at existence. You know, what is what is being? What is its meaning? Uh, and so you can see this is a very different uh, approach than what the analytic philosophers were taking. They weren't worried, the analytic philosophers weren't worried about what is being and what does it mean. They were more interested in uh, accurate description, accurate argument, um, accurately seeing the way things were. So for them, the question of being is something that they felt wasn't important. The existentialist, on the other hand, that one of their more central ideas. Figure out, you know, what is being? What is the meaning of this? Um, does it change? Uh, we fit into being as individuals. So it's a much uh, more personal analytic. Analytic is kind of looking for more uh, universal laws, universal rules, universal logic. Uh, the existentialists are mucking at the world from a personal level. Um, one of the big ideas of the existentialist is that existence precedes essence. Um, now, I'll slow down and give you a little bit of an understanding of what it means by that. Uh, there's often been viewed that humans have a certain essence, and then our existence is merely an instance of that essence. So they believe there, there, there's been a belief that there's something that is essentially human. And then from that, um, we 
develop our being, develop our exa actual existence. The existentialists look at that in the opposite way. They say for there to, they believe for there to be an essence, first you have to have a being there. And it's the being that defines the essence, not the other way around. Um, and one of the things that you have with the existentialist is you have a very wide variety of viewpoints on this. Uh, for one, the existentialists are, some of them are uh, Christians, some of them are agnostics, some of them are atheists. Uh, they come from different religious beliefs. So there are very much Christian existentialists and there are very much secular existentialists. And they fall into the same category, the difference being the relationship to uh, whether or not there's a creator. But they all start at the point of existence. We have our existence and what does this mean and how do we shape our existence? And even do we have the ability to shape our existence? You know, some of the existentialists um, feel that often uh, we don't really have free will. We have the appearance of free will, that our existence um, gets shaped completely by the world around us. Now, most of them don't go that route. Uh, most of them go the route that, uh, with awareness, we do have the ability to somewhat shape our existence, to shape the meaning of our lives. Uh, as you can tell, this is going to be a section, both of these, analytic and existentialist, that we're going to ha talk about a lot of different people, and we're going to talk about a lot of different angles. And I don't want to get too much into them, I just want to give you a general breakdown. Now there's one more tradition that I want to talk about today, and that's the tradition of the pragmatists. And the pragmatists are coming about right about the same time as the analytic and the uh, continental philosophers. The pragmatists are an American group of philosophers. And really, pragmatism is the only um, branch of philosophy that is considered an American philosophy. Now, the pragmatists take a different approach than either the analytic or the existentialists, but they don't completely just dismiss both of what they have done. Um, but the pragmatists have a very different focus in that they worry mainly about not so much ideas that people just think, but how do these ideas shape out in the real world? So, like the name implies, what is the pragmatic application of an idea? And for the pragmatist, if you are looking at ideas from, looking at philosophy from this perspective, for them, any issue that doesn't have a direct influence or contact with people's lives and how they live their lives um, doesn't really have much of a place in their philosophy. They see it as something that is more uh, sort of an intellectual game that some people play. Um, they're much more interested in how do things, how do these ideas work themselves out in the real world. And one of the things you see with the pragmatists is that a lot of them tend to be dealing in issues like education, dealing in issues like psychology, um, and, and things like that, where you're, you're talking about, you know, how do these things play out in the real world? One of the big names in pragmatism is John Dewey. Uh, John Dewey was very famous education reformer. 
uh, wrote a lot in the in the field of you know psycho psychology as well. But for Dewey, one of the things about his education system was he believed that education should always be combined with the practical and the hands-on. He didn't believe people should learn by rote. You know, they didn't, shouldn't just memorize lots of facts. He felt that was worthless in education because it didn't give people application. So if you look at Dewey's philosophies on education, he's very much into um, teaching in ways that are hands-on. So you teach people, you know, math, you teach people writing, but you teach them, you know, how are you going to use this in the real world? And for myself as, a, as an instructor, um, I'm very much influenced by the pragmatists in this way. You know, when I taught my classes and when I do these lectures, one of the things I try to do is give a sense of how does this work in the real world? How do the things that we're talking about apply to real life? So as an example to kind of give from this uh, from this discussion today, if I were to look at the uh, analytic philosophers and say, what do they give us? Well, the analytic philosophers give us systematic, logical ways of looking at problems. You know, this is a very, these are some very good methods for problem solving. These are some very good methods for how to um, be able to increase our communication abilities. If you're not communicating with people clearly, using precise language, using good logic, uh, then the misunderstandings will just start to multiply. So for me, I also see the, you know, analytic philosophers as being pragmatic. Now, some of the issues that they go into are much more intellectual issues that might not affect people's daily lives. But the whole project of what they're doing can be seen as something that does affect the way people live their lives. It makes your life more, uh, if, you want, if you will, scientific and logical. Uh, now, the existentialists, if I'm looking at them from a pragmatic perspective... You know, humans kind of do get a sense of being lost. Why are we here? What does it all mean? And the existentialists really do wrestle with these questions. They wrestle with questions like free will. What does it mean to have free will? Do I have free will? Can I have free will? You know, and, and these are practical questions as well. You know, these are questions that help you get out of bed in the morning. You know, decide whether what you're doing is of value or if you should be doing something else. So from the existentialist, you know, looking at the existentialist through pragmatism, um, you can see it's something that, yes, does indeed have application to the way we live. Now, from the pragmatists, uh, you kind of get a sense of the world more of being sort of combining the logic of, you know, theory and hypothesis uh, that, the, that the analytics were coming up with and saying, let's throw this into the real world and see what happens. Uh, see if this actually works when we put it into practice. So I guess you, would, you could think of the pragmatists as more of the... Uh, like the field experimenters, the people who go out and look at what the conditions actually are and what are the conditions that actually influence things. So 
as I've said, all three of these branches have different have a different focus, and we will be going into philosophers in all three. Uh, all three of them have done a large uh, part in shaping the thinking of the 20th century and 21st century. The political thinking, the economic thinking, the um, you know social thinking. All of these groups have been influential in all of these areas and in different ways. So I wanted to give you just a little bit of a of an intro into the main branches that we're going to be going into in the 20th century. We'll be talking about the analytic philosophers, we'll be talking about the continental philosophers, and we will be talking about the pragmatists. Okay, I'm going to end this episode for now. I hope that I didn't go too fast. Um, if anybody ever has any questions uh, on what I do in these podcasts, um, please feel free to uh, follow me on Twitter, um, at PaulKady10, uh, P-A-U-L-C-A-D-Y 10, the number, is my Twitter. Uh, if you follow me there, um, feel free to ask me questions about any of the uh, podcasts that you hear. Also, feel free if you have a topic that you would like me to address uh, in a podcast, I can... I can certainly do, you know, special request podcasts if people want them. Um, so I hope uh, all of you will uh, take advantage of that and use this to be a little more interactive. You know, my my experience as a teacher was always actually in front of a class, and so I was used to a, a lot of questions and a lot of back and forth. And I really do want you to feel that you are part of this podcast and if you do have questions, if you do want me to slow down on things, if you want me to go into areas that I haven't touched yet, um, please contact me through Twitter, and uh, I will work out something with that. All right, I hope all of you are doing well. I hope all of you are staying safe. Have a good night.